Well, good morning. Strap in. Whoo, we are on 1 Samuel chapter 17. Go there. <laughs> good things. Today we're going to learn how to slay a giant. That's the passage we're going to look at today. Anybody in the house want to kill a giant? Yeah. Let's make this a fun time. You want to know how to find true courage that motivated a young teenager to charge a monster that was terrorizing a king, an army, and an entire nation for over a month. True courage. Anybody here just tired of cowering? Today, the epic story of David versus Goliath. David versus the giant. What's the giant in your life? I mean, life just brings us giants to give us opportunities to trust God in whole new ways. Giants are circumstances or whatever that cause us to be fearful or angry. It's we realize that we can't control this part of our life. It could, it's different for different people because people have different fears, different things they're afraid of losing or experiencing. And so one person can run into a burning building without fear, but maybe that same person can't go to a counselor's office. It's afraid of a counselor but not of a fire. So it could, it could be an event, a memory. It, it could be an addiction to overcome. It could be a person, whatever it might be. But it's, it's just shows you can't do this. You're losing all the time. And here's the thing about giants. Know this. They're patient. I mean, they, they'll just stay there. They'll stand over you and mock your fear or anger for a day or a month or a decade. Giants don't leave until someone kills them. And we're going to learn how to slay a giant today. You want to kill a giant? Yeah. You're going to need real courage. That's going to be the theme. You're going to need real courage. And there's different kinds of courage. Not any courage. David and Goliath both have courage. It'll be real versus fake. And if you want to kill a giant, you're going to find out the courage comes from different sources. That's the key. It's what these men put their trust, their faith, their hope, what they boast in, is that's how they get the courage that they have. And if they boast and have faith in things that are foolish, they're going to have a foolish kind of courage. David and Saul and Goliath are all trusting, but they're trusting in different things. They're all going to have courage, but they're going to have a different kind of courage. The theme today on how to slay a giant is where does true courage come from? There's fake and real. There's life and death in this. You have a tissue paper kind of courage that is born from where it's hope, it's faith, it's boasting is in my own intellect, my own strength, my own wealth to solve whatever problems come my way. <laughs> it doesn't take much if it's tissue paper, just a little bit of water and it dissolves. But true courage, it's based on faith and trust and hope and, and boasting in knowing the nature of Jehovah God and how, what his values are, and how to live accordingly, that will be a courage that's as hard as diamonds. So 
before, just to make this perfectly clear, because that's the theme of the story, courage has a source, and the source is what we put our faith, hope, trust, what we boast in. Just to make sure that if I'm making this confusing, there's a passage in the Bible that just says, don't put your faith, trust, hope, boast in these things, but rather do this. Watch. It's just a, a list of and it shows up in our story, but in Jeremiah chapter 9, he says, this is what Jehovah says. Do not let the wise boast in their wisdom. Don't let the power, don't let the powerful boast in their power. Don't let the rich boast in their riches. But those who wish to boast should boast in this alone, that they truly know me and understand that I am Jehovah. And I, I who, who, is, who demonstrates unfailing love. And, and, brings, and who will bring justice and righteousness to, our, to the earth. I delight in these things. I, Jehovah, have spoken. These are three things foolish people put their faith in because it's not wise and it's going to end in a, a courage that can't handle a giant that comes into their life. Let not the wise man boast in his wisdom. It's easy to do that, isn't it? I can... I'm, I solve problems. I'm a problem solver. What's the problem? What's the solution? I got this. Just need to read more. Just need to think about it more. And then, and then a giant comes into our life, and we can't reason our way out of it. Do you know there's giants in life where life doesn't make sense? It's not going to make sense. We cannot understand it. And this giant will stand over us and mock our petty courage because we had put faith in our ability to reason our way out of it. And it's no wonder we're angry or cowering in fear. That's foolish faith, which leads to a shallow courage. And then he says, let that strong person boast in their strength. That's my go-to. I mean, just work hard. When life gets hard, you work harder. And what you need is a good work ethic. You power your way through this. I get stuff done. That's what I do. And then life, giant, shows up in your life and says, oh, no, there's not enough hours for this. <laughs> your work ethic won't fix this. This is the youngest you're going to be for the rest of your life. And you can't keep up right now. <laughs> Look at you. You know, I mean, most people can juggle, what, four balls? I can juggle six. And then life, the giant circumstances, says, here's 30 balls. Keep juggling. And here's two knives. And here's a running chainsaw. How's your juggling now? <laughs> and this giant stands over and mocks because he had a dumb courage that was based on your, a faith in your own strength. And there's not enough strength for this. And then he says, he says, let not the wealthy person put their confidence or boast in their wealth. And that's what we do a lot, don't we? Just throw money at it. What's the problem? Just throw money at it. There's giants that show up and they, they can eat through $100,000 like it's a mid-morning snack and not even feel the difference. There are a lot of problems in life that can't be solved with money. 
So don't take courage, don't take confidence, don't put your faith in that kind of, of source for your courage. It won't work. If your foundation, for, if the foundation of your life for your security and your significance, your identity, is something that can be taken away or stolen or just kind of age out, then you should live in fear. You should be afraid. You should be angry because it's just a matter of time before that giant shows up and mocks you. And that's, <laughs> if you take that as the source of courage, you're going to find that's what makes, in this storyline, that's what makes King Saul cower, and this is what's going to kill the giant Goliath, is a bad faith leading to bad kinds of courage. So just in summary, today what you're going to see is a contrast in, in trust in, in the object of their faith. You're going to, we're going to compare big, strong men and they put their faith in something weak in contrast to a weak man who puts his faith and his courage comes from knowing Jehovah God. That's what's happening today. So, anybody want to kill a giant today? A giant that's stronger than your strength, wiser than your intellect, that <laughs> can't be bought with your wealth? That's what's going on. We're going to, have, to do that, you have to have the right kind of courage, the real courage, and that real courage comes from faith. And like the passage says, Jehovah, the living God, who overflows with everlasting love and brings righteousness and justice to the earth. That's what he loves. That's the story today. Here we go. Takes place, the scene is in the Valley of Elah, and... On the eastern bank, right on the eastern bank, there's the very well-resourced army of the Philistines. And they are ready for war. And on the west slope is Israel. And they're mostly farmers and ranchers. And they're just getting by. But they serve the living God. And in between, on that flat, is no man's land. You don't want to be there. It's the valley of death. It's the danger zone. And the Philistines call down their champion to go to the 50-yard line of that valley, that flat land there, and he calls them all out. Now, the key to this passage to understand all the, like the, what we're supposed to be learning in this about God and the nature of courage and faith is to see the details of this description of Goliath because the way this is written is unique to all of Hebrew ancient literature everywhere. In the Bible and outside the Bible, it is not the nature of the language and it's not the nature of the writers to give this lengthy of a list with this much detail. And it's purposeful. Hebrew literary scholar Robert Alter uh, says this, uh, Atler rather, he says this, and it's an almost grotesque, grotesquely quantitative embodiment of a hero that is hulking monument to like an obtusely mechanical conception of what constitutes power. Yeah, I don't know what that means either. So, <laughs> using his, his, his big words to say that, that this writer's going to extensive and violating all sorts of Hebrew literary styles to say this is what 
is everyone is looking at as the definition of strength and power and invincibility. He's building it up to see how it falls down. So it's, behold, Goliath. Here's the description. And the champion named Goliath, who was from Gath, comes out, to the Philist- comes out from the Philistine camp, and he was nine feet tall. He had a bronze helmet on his head, and he wore a coat of scale armor. That was bronze, weighing 125 pounds. On his legs, he wore bronze shin guards and a bronze javelin, and that was slung on his back, and he had a spear shaft that was like a weaver's beam, and had an iron point on the top of it that weighed 16 pounds. Goliath is a human tank, and I want you to know and understand that the description of his armory is to show the technological advance of the Philistine army. Bronze, 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 and an iron spear tip that weighs 16 pounds. All of that is to show, wow, this is the latest and the most expensive material that could be used for protecting and killing the enemies. And Goliath has great courage and confidence, and why wouldn't he? (laughs) He's got 250 pounds of, of of gear on. He's nine feet something tall. He has a great record, and he's trusting in that. That's where his hope is. That's why he's courageous. That's why he has confidence. And he's going to call out Saul, the king of Israel, by name. Now, Saul's almost the theme here because he's the king of Israel, but in his description that we read earlier in in weeks previous, that he was head and shoulders above everyone else. He's the biggest man in all of Israel, and he's, wow, he's courageous and heroic until he finds out he's not the biggest man in the valley of Elah. And since he put his faith in that, in his strength, he doesn't have courage anymore. And so, he's 20 times Saul's name's going to be used. Here's Goliath calling him out. Goliath stood And shouted at the ranks of Israel, why do you come out and line up for battle? Am I not a Philistine? Are you not here as servants of Saul? So choose a man and have him come down to me. And if if he is able to fight and kill me, we'll become your subjects. But if I overcome him and kill him, you will become our subjects and serve us. And then the Philistine said, this day I defy the ranks of Israel. Give me a man and let us fight each other. And then hearing these Philistines' words, Saul and all the Israelites were dismayed and terrified. Listen to the music, right? No, 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 no. Watch this author tell a great story because the next scene is 18 miles away and there's a little sheep running across a pasture and a butterfly lands on his ear. And there's a shepherd boy under a tree playing a guitar. Look at the contrast, the next sentence. David, the youngest, went back and forth from Saul to tend his father's sheep in Bethlehem. Three words are describing this young boy. He's 17 years old, but he's the youngest. He's a shepherd boy, and he runs errands. Now back to the battle. Forty days, it says. Look what it says. Forty days, the giant comes out. Excuse me. For 40 days, the Philistine came forward every morning and evening 
and took his stand twice a day, 40 days, comes out, kicks sand in the face of all of Israel, mocks their God. He's patient. Giants are patient. He's coming back again. They will keep coming back until somebody slays this giant. For breakfast, he kicks sand in their face. By the time they get it out, he's back for the evening. Kicks sand in their face again. (laughs) 40 days. That's from now until like mid-October. This giant's walking in, opening your front door, taking your kid's Halloween candy, eating it in front of you, and then walking out because you won't do anything. You think if you ignore him, it'll go away. That's not how the giants work here. (laughs) Can't deny it. And he's not going to change. You want to kill a giant, you have to change the kind of courage you have. And to change the kind of courage you have, you have to change what you have faith in, what you trust in, what you boast about. And it can't be about your power or your wealth or your intelligence because this giant, he kicks sand in the face of that. Forty days, twice a day. And then on day 41, our shepherd boy is running errands. He's bringing food to his brothers. And he goes to the front line and he's talking to his brothers. And it says, just keep note, like this is maybe the smallest person in this entire battle. His little 17-year-old, I mean, he doesn't have to be small. He's not a boy, he's 17. He's talking with his brothers and it says, Goliath came out for his usual defiance. And after hearing those taunts, David, the first time he hears it, he wants to put a stop to it immediately. He says this, and David asked the men standing near him, he says, what will be done for the man who kills this Philistine and removes this disgrace from Israel? Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? (laughs) Anybody going to, what happens to the guy who shuts this guy up making fun of our God? He calls him uncircumcised Philistine for a purpose. That's like, it's not a, it's, it's recalling the covenant, the promise that Yahweh, Jehovah God, gave Israel, this is your land. I'm giving it to you, I promise. And so that's where the circumcised people live here. And he's looking like, you're on our dirt. And you make fun of our God? And so his brother, Eliab, the oldest one, looks at him and and then makes fun of him. He's angry. Clearly he's enraged because cowards hate heroes showing up when everybody's just like, learn to like the sand, okay? You'll get used to it. And he says, what are you you doing here? And aren't you supposed to be tending those little sheep back home? I know how wicked your heart is, he says. You just came here to see the blood and the glory of a battle. And David says, hey, what? I'm just, I'm asking questions here. But I love what it says. And he turned away from Iliad because this hero has almost zero tolerance for cowards. He's not a boy anymore. I'm going to talk to someone else and asks around and says, you know, what, what's going to happen to the man who rids this loudmouth of, of Israel heckling and mocking our God? And so and say, well, Saul just doing what Saul does. He's not going to fight him, but he's promised great wealth to that man. He's going to give you a daughter, one of his daughters, to be married to you, and you'll be tax-free for the rest of your life. David, oh, wow, okay, who do I talk to? Next thing you know, he's in the presence of Saul himself. Saul hears about this young shepherd boy wanting to take on the battle. 
David, when he meets Saul, he says, he says, let no one lose heart because of this Philistine. I will fight him. That's what it says in Hebrew. There's a Greek translation of the Old Testament. It's called the Septuagint. And in the translation, it's common, even in our only English translations, there's a little bit of a commentary added. And so when they translated, it said, let not the king lose heart. Because that's who the audience is. This king who's the biggest man, and this was his fight to fight, let not the king lose heart. I'll fight the Philistine for you. And Saul responds, listen to what he puts his faith in. But you're not able to go out against the Philistine and fight him, but you're only a boy. And he's been, he's been, fighting, he's been a fighting man from his youth. Saul is putting his courage, his strength, his faith in size, weaponry, and experience. And David, you have none of that. If we were like today, we would say, and if you came to our church, David, uh, what's your spiritual gift and how are you using it for the kingdom of God? And David would say, I'm really good with rocks <laughs> and I kill what other people fear. Oh, okay. So here's the, here's the answer. Picture this. They're in a tent the largest man in Israel, the king, with his generals, this is David's response to, hey, you have no war history. He says, and David said to Saul, but your servant has been keeping his father's sheep. Yeah, you're supposed to laugh. Wait, what? You've been keeping sheep? That's your answer? Your father's sheep. And <laughs> listen to the faith that David has. Here's the key. You have to have real courage. Real courage comes from real faith. What's the real faith? In the Lord. This is where David puts his faith. It's graphic. And when, the, when he's shepherding his sheep, he continues. He says, look what he's boasting in. When, the, when, when, a, when a lion or a bear came and they carried off a sheep from the flock, I went after it and I struck it and I rescued the sheep from its mouth. Now, when it turned on me, I seized it by the hair and I struck it and I killed it. So look, your servant has killed both a lion and a bear. This uncircumcised Philistine will look like one of them because he has defiled the armies of the living God. For Jehovah, who delivered me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear, will deliver me from the paw of this Philistine. There it is. There's where his faith is. That's why he has the courage that he has. And his courage can overwhelm any odds against him. You want to know how to kill a giant? Yeah, right? You do. Here's the first thing. You have to get courage from the right source of faith. You have to get courage from the right source of faith. It's faith in God. What everybody else sees, and that's why the narrator, the narrator writes it that way with all those details, that's what everybody sees is this giant hulking man with all of this equipment and technology, and David sees, he sees a tiny little man making fun of the God of Israel. He knows and enjoys Jehovah, who is overflowing with love and brings justice and righteousness to the valley of Elah. He gives Jehovah credit. He gave me victory over that lion, victory over that bear. He's going to give me victory over this Philistine. I mean, know this. I mean, right? David is an, an exceptional athlete. He's a phenom. He's, he's a marksman. No doubt about that. He's practiced with that. He's taken 10,000 reps. He's good. 
But that's not what he's bragging about. That's not what he's trusting in. And it would be like you and I, uh, let's say we're driving to an interview for a job. Sure, we do the homework. We practice. We ask for advice on how to do an interview well. And maybe we're quite good at interviewing. But in our route there, we're saying, Lord, this is bigger than me and my talents. And I'm not trusting in that anyway. I'm trusting in you and your providence and your sovereignty. You're part of all of this. You got me this interview. You're going you're gonna to determine how this person's going to receive this interview. So I'll do my part, but that's it. My faith, hope, trust, not in my skills, not in my experiences. And I think for me, one of the reasons that I must stay intimate with God is because I fall back on either working hard or trying to outthink stuff. And there have been a few times in my life where I, because I was intimate with God, I felt like the Spirit was saying, Matt, you're trusting in more hours. Just close the book. You've studied enough. Go home. You have other responsibilities. You're putting your hope and your faith in working harder and learning more. And when I'm not tuned into the Spirit of God, I default to those two right away. You want to kill a giant? One you got to change the source of where your faith is so that you get the real courage that's diamond hard. And two, you have to remember well. You have to remember the right stories. It was God who killed that lion. It was God who killed that bear. And it's God that's going to do this. And this is, how I, this is how I keep score. This is how I remember my life. What I love about David is he understands there's a sense of destiny about him. Every single one of us should understand a sense of destiny about you are here for this very purpose, right here, right now. If there was a better time, better place, God would have put you there. This is it, right here, right now. And David understands he's remembering when he was a boy and when he was a shepherd. and when he, All of that was orchestrated to trust God in new ways to kill these animals so that maybe it turns into something else later. How we remember is key to living by faith. Like how Spurgeon sometimes reminds us, we don't remember well often. Here's a pastor Spurgeon said, some saints have very short memories. It has been well said that if we write our benefits in dust and our injuries in marble, it's equally true that we generally just inscribe our afflictions upon brass and we record our deliverances from God written in water. Right. We carve in stone the one time... We trust in God in big ways and we fail miserably, but the seven times we have a God story, we write those in a cloud. The key to living by faith is remembering well, knowing what to remember and how to remember. You want to raise a giant killer? You parents, you want to raise little giant killers? You show them this first part of the destiny of their life, that God's working in their life. Even in elementary school and in junior high and high school, like bringing little lions and little bears and letting them trust, letting them trust in the Lord and they're not their own strength or wisdom or wealth. And they just keep graduating from that. And then you're teaching them to remember those things. You, you give them a plaque or, or some kind of icon to help them remember the time that the Lord delivered them in that grade. And when they got older a little more, they go off, they leave the house, they have God stories in, in their lineage, in their, in, their, in their memory, constantly remembering what God has done. You have to teach them 
how to fight giants, the ones that God brings them, and then you have to teach them how to remember those, and that's how you breed and raise giant killers. Story continues where Saul does what you would expect Saul to do. He tells David to try on his coat of armor, his uh, bronze helmet, using his spear. And why is that? Because Saul is just working down that list from Jeremiah. Let not the strong man boast in his strength. That's where he was. And then Goliath showed up. He was stronger. Okay. Uh, How about the wealthy man? Yeah, sure. I'm going to write checks. I'm going to throw money at it. Here, you'll be rich and you won't be taxed. And you can even throw my daughter in there too. And now it's like wisdom. I'm the wisdom, the technology of, of my armory. You can use that. And David tries it on and turns it turns it down because he's not putting his faith in those things. I mean, I would love to know if he turned towards Saul and said, how is all this military equipment working for you? I mean, it's yours, right? Why aren't you wearing it? He doesn't have a lot of patience for cowards. So David takes his staff and starts to leave. And the last words that Saul says to him before he leaves, he says, go, and may Jehovah be with you. (laughs) Really? Okay. So here's the story. In this corner, fighting out of Gath, nine feet plus inches, weighing over 400 pounds, covered in about 222 pounds of the best technology the military can provide, is a fighting record of 127 victories, all by death and zero losses. He is Goliath the terror. And in this corner, from the little town of Bethlehem, a teenage shepherd boy, and I can see that you brought your, oh, you brought your shepherd staff. Good. And he's never fought. What'd you say? You, you killed two animals? That's cute. That's good. Two animals. David, the baby-faced shepherd. That's what we're supposed to see. And while all of this is happening, Israel is beginning to panic. Some of the men are literally fleeing. Goliath is putting his chest out like an easy victory. Saul is very nervous and terrified. David's brothers are mocking him still and While all of this, David is unmoved. He goes to the stream in the valley there and picks up five smooth stones. And it says it put, and he puts them in the pocket of his shepherd's pouch. And then in verse 40, we are 40 verses in. And then the author says, and he took his sling towards Goliath. Wait, what? He's got, he's got a what? He's got a sling? No one's mentioned a sling. Yeah, maybe it'll come up later. Goliath sees him, and it says he despised David, and he despised him because he was, he was a boy and ruddy and handsome, and he says, I, am I a dog that you come with me with sticks? And now they're going to change, exchange trash-talking speeches, and there's going to be more time spent on those speeches than there will, will in the fight, because this is where we learn how to kill giants in our life. Goliath says, look, little boy. I'm going to take your carcass and I'm going to feed it to the birds of the air and the beasts of the field. You're wasting my time here. And then David responds with, and David said to the Philistine, you come against me 
boasting about a sword and a spear and a javelin, and I come to you, against you, in the name of Jehovah Almighty, the God of the armies, whom you have defiled. This is what's going to happen. The Lord is going to give you into my hands. I'm going to kill you. Then I'm going to chop your head off. And then, yeah, the beasts of the fields and the birds of the air, they're going to feast on the carcasses of all the Philistines, and we chase you all the way back to Gath. Okay, there's that. And this is going to happen for this to happen, for the world to know. It says, and the world will know that there is a God in Israel. And all those who gathered here will know that it's not by sword or spirit that Jehovah saves. The battle belongs to Jehovah. We're not going to boast in sword and spirit. We're not going to hope in wisdom. We're not going to hope in wealth. We're not going to hope in power. This is what it looks like. We're going to hope in the Lord. And then Goliath took two lumbering steps towards David. David ran to the giant, picked up one of his stones from uh, his pouch, slings it, throws it at the giant, hits him right in the forehead. It sinks into his skull. And then Goliath falls forward, face down. Timber. The bigger they are. That stupid giant. He has faith in sword and spear and javelins. Who brings a spear to a gunfight? <laughs> Look what it did. And David triumphed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone without a sword in his hand. And he struck down the Philistine and killed him. So David ran over to him and did what he promised he'd do. He's not quite dead yet. He takes the sword out of the scabbard of of Goliath, because he didn't have time to pull it out himself, kills Goliath with it, cuts his head off, holds it up to the crowd, Philistines panic, and sure enough, the Israelites chase them all the way back to the gates of Gath, killing them and leaving their carcasses for the beasts of the field and the birds of the air, just like David say. You want to kill a giant, anybody? Anybody? You want to kill a giant? You got it you got to have the courage that's from the Lord. Boast in this. Boast in this. Have faith in this. Trust in this. That Jehovah is everlasting in his love. And will bring righteousness and justice to the earth. He is the promise keeper. His words will never fail. Trust and faith in Jehovah brings about real courage. That real courage can have you go and figure out how to make your marriage right. Real courage can give you the power to find out what motivates you deep down inside. True courage, not the fake kind, in trusting in the Lord, he can give you the courage to face the problems with addiction or take responsibilities for some decisions that you've made where you hurt other people and you don't want to feel the shame of taking responsibility, this courage can help there. Courage from the Lord. And then choosing to remember life that way. Choosing to remember what God has done. Every single one of us needs to have a sense of destiny about our lives. That God has been working all in our lives to bring us to more courageous opportunities, more courageous events where we can have God stories. Did you notice that every one of the losers in this story mocks David 
for the very thing that God used to make him a giant killer, being a shepherd boy. He's banished to the hills where he's bored to death, and he, uses to, he, he learns how to use a sling like a sniper rifle. And it is in that disgraceful act of being the young shepherd boy that he kills this giant. And his brother mocks him for it, and the king mocks him for it, and Goliath mocks him for it. And David's like, God is working in my life. His hand is upon me, and, my sov- and his sovereignty is working in my life so that I might understand and know how God works for such a time as this. We all are supposed to have an overwhelming sense of destiny. God is doing things right now to make us with the right kind of courage and the right kind of trust to slay giants now and in the future. Any warriors in the house? (laughs) Just tired of sand getting kicked in your face? Every morning, every afternoon, change your courage by changing the source of where your faith is. Change who and how you boast. Let's build a church of warriors. What do you say? Raise up a generation of giant killers. I love this story. You know, let me tell you what happens after the giant killing. Doesn't make it to the cartoons. David, Saul is watching from his perch in a safe distance from the battle and says, who's the kid again? Like, bring him to me. So Abner, as general, brings David into his presence. And David, it says, shows up to Saul with Goliath's head. He's got his head in one hand and his Goliath's sword in the other. The whole point, hey, big, tall, strong King Saul, the shepherd boy's back. Was this, was this who you were having trouble with? You got any, you got any other problems for the shepherd boy? Because I got four more stones. Then, part two of the aftermath, David walks five and a half hours back towards home carrying the head of Goliath and that sword. And he deviates to Jerusalem, five miles north of this little town of Bethlehem. And Bethlehem is, uh, topographically, it's below it. And he looks up at Jerusalem every day when he's tending sheep. And he wants that town to be owned by the glory of God. He knows that town belongs to Jehovah. And so he brings the head of Goliath to Jerusalem and leaves it there as a 17-year-old boy. And he said it first, I'll be back. And he'll make that the capital of Israel one day. Then he goes back home. Back to shepherding. Brings the sword in to his tent where there's a bear skin rug and mounts it up on his wall right next to that lion head. But this is a different David because this is, this changes everything. This is, I'll quote from King Arthur, and, the, and fate leaves Arthur to pull the Excalibur from the stone so that he might embrace his true destiny as a legendary fighter and a leader. That's what's happened in David's life. He's pulled Excalibur. And that boy that left those fields at the beginning of the story, he'll never come back. Because now David the warrior, the king-elect, 
The man after God's own heart is the storyline from this, this time forward. Come back next week. We'll learn some more. Is there anybody in the house that wants to kill a giant? Yeah. Let's make ourselves giant killers. Lord Jesus, I'd ask that your spirit would help us understand that you'd cut us to the quick when we put our faith in things that are temporary, that can be lost, that can be just grow old, that we have our identity and maybe our appearance or our wealth or our intelligence or our work ethic, whatever it might be, Lord. And we, we just, we, we run with confidence, I mean pride. And these things come into our lives and we become angry and afraid. And they're all allowed by you and your providence as another giant to kill so that you'll have still another God story to glorify Jehovah with. So, Lord, I'd ask that you would bring those to our minds and help us realize where we're putting our faith, our trust, what we boast about. And I confess, it is sinful when we put our faith, trust, hope, and we boast about ourselves and our attributes and gifts that you've given us. Lord, let us be a church of giant killers, that raise giant killers because we know you are Jehovah God, the Lord of all the armies, and you've given us these giants just to mount on the walls of eternity to tell stories about in future lives together about how you worked in us to overcome the things that we fear. We pray this in great hope and trust and the nature of your overflowing love and that you'll bring justice and righteousness to this earth. That's what we boast about. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.